At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and today I have a special guest who is going to chat with me a little bit about uh, a very important item that most, I feel like most wild game, wild food chefs have in their kitchen. Uh, so we're going to dive deep into the details of, of use and care and favorites and tips and tricks and all those cool things surrounding that uh but first i'll get a little bit of news out of the way for myself so uh recently wrapped up the international sportsman's expo a big shout out to everybody that uh came out to that and said hey and listened to me talk about butchering and wild game myths and all that fun stuff uh it was really great thanks for those that supported us by buying spice blends and things like that uh we did sell out of our big game spice blend completely uh at that show so we're waiting on restock for that but in uh, fun news, uh, myself and the majority of the Harvesting Nature crew is going to be heading to Missoula, Montana the weekend of St. Patrick's Day for the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous, and we will have a booth there. Uh, we're going to be doing some giveaways, uh, some New West Knife Works knives. Uh, we'll be giving away some chef knives. I think we're going to do an elk, elk antler handled knife, uh, which is pretty awesome. I've got it. It's a sweet knife that's made uh, made right there in uh, in Wyoming, so that'll be fun. And then uh, we'll be doing hopefully a wild food panel and uh, some demos and stuff like that. I'm not cooking this year; uh, just wanted to hang out with everybody versus doing a bunch of events. So uh, I'll be there just to hang out, and then uh, we'll see. Obviously, listen to people talk about public lands and drink delicious beer and eat delicious food. So, uh, oh, I think too we're gonna do samples. We're working on that, but we're gonna do some game samples giveaways at the booth. So that'll be fun. Cool. But um, I think outside of that, uh, that's probably the biggest news. Waiting for the draw to close for spring turkey, wrapping up waterfowl season here in Colorado, and uh, 
that's about it. Excited for it to get warmer, tired of the cold. Uh, Kyle, you don't know this. This is my second winter in the great white North. So I'm in Denver, Colorado. I was previously living down in the Florida keys for five years. So I'm adjusting. (laughs) I mean, I'm in New Jersey, so it's kind of, you know, it's, it's pretty damn cold here now. So yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm ready for, I'm ready for spring for sure. That's right. But, uh, well, I guess with that, I'll, I'll introduce our guest. So our guest today has been a cast iron cooking enthusiast and amateur chef for over two decades. Not only does he share tricks for cooking with cast iron and tips on how to properly clean it, but he also restores and sells vintage skillets. Additionally, he is the host of the podcast Iron Podcast. Kyle Seip, welcome to the Wild Fishing Game Podcast. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah, man, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad uh, there was a little bit of chatting back and forth via social media, but uh, I'm glad that we got you got you on the show and, and uh, able to talk. I can tell you personally, I've been wanting to hit on this topic for a very, very long time, and it was really just like finding the right person, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm fully in belief that that is you, so well, thank excited you. Thank to... Thank you very Yeah, yeah. Every time I hear so, that from someone, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, but um, so the... The, uh, to touch before we get started, the podcast Iron. There's two different podcasts. When I announced my podcast as Podcast Iron, somebody launched the Podcast Iron right as I announced it. But what they wow. what they didn't know was that I went and got the trademarks and I copywrote everything and I went through all the legal um, the legal loopholes of starting a podcast and I messaged them and actually like, you know, had to threaten with a cease and desist. So I said, you are the podcast iron. I'll take podcast iron. As long as you focus on iron art and I focus on food, everybody can live hermetically. So my podcast (laughs) is actually called just podcast iron. So that's the name that I own. And I say that because I don't want to drive traffic to someone that's to, to a podcast where you're not going to learn about cooking. My, my, my podcast focuses a lot about history and cooking and unique recipes and stuff like that. So I just want people to find it the right way. Um, so I just, I appreciate you letting me take a second to Claire to, to, to no, it's all, it's all, uh, semantics, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an important, uh, it's an important feature. I'd probably say that people would be really disappointed if they're like, yes. yeah, this could be a great episode about, about cooking. Sculpting. And they're like, wait, now, now I'm sculpting. <laughs> yeah, right. So I heard you mention in the plugs before we got started about game meat and stuff like that. What are some of mm-hmm. your favorite game meats? Because I'm a huge game meat enthusiast. I've had so many Ooh. different versions of wild game. It would blow your mind probably. Ooh, this is going to be a good, this is a good opener. Um, probably like one of my, my top favorites and people like, I get a lot of, I wouldn't say criticism for this, but like raised eyebrows. Uh, I like pronghorn antelope. It's probably like one of my favorites. Yeah. So, uh, just about every year go up Wyoming, Wyoming, Colorado area, depending and and hunt pronghorn antelope. And it's such a great meat. Pronghorn antelope. So I've had, I've cooked I've cooked antelope before. What I do when the gamey, so for lack of a better term, the gamier, the meat, the slower, mm-hmm. the slower and lower temperature I cook it. Um, 
you, if you take like a backstrap or a tenderloin from an antelope and you put it in the oven at like 220 degrees for like however many hours you need for it to get right at like 125 mm -hmm. and cut it in like little steaks, you know, and then rearrange it and it and put it back in the oven for about five, 10 minutes. That's, that's a really good way to cook it. How do you cook it? I'm very curious. As to um, I mean, gosh, the cook it, cook it a lot of different ways. Cause I, I try to break down everything pretty much myself into like the seam cuts and then get into, you know, do I want to do steaks or roast or whatever? But, uh, uh, man, I've been doing ground for the kids a lot lately. I'll plug. I did. I think I figured out like the perfect taco meat recipe. I know that's not very exciting, but no, that's a, uh, it's I, a great thing to talk about, especially if it's cooked in cast iron. You can make great tacos yeah, with just about anything. Actually, any. it was cooked in cast iron. So, oh, um, man, let's hear it. So I uh, working on. I'll do another shameless plug too. Is like I used our big game blend spice <laughs> as my base, but uh, I added in, in sort of understanding the flavors of that. Uh, added cumin to it and uh, smoked paprika and a good amount of chili powder, and then added in rotel, uh, which I think is really good, and then just a little bit of tomato sauce to give it like a coat. And then obviously I went with the aromatics, so like the garlic, the bell pepper, the onion minced up like pretty small so that it, like mixes well in to the meat but man that sounds good the flavor yeah the flavor combination was there and we took it and i did a round of like flour tortillas and a round of corn tortillas and just put like that chihuahua cheese yeah uh on it let it get a good melt and then threw the meat on there uh, a little bit on each one and then eat some of my folded over some i just sprinkled more cheese and put another one on top but there you go. another tortilla but man uh, my kids and I just like destroyed it just with like salsa yeah. and it, it was phenomenal. So, okay. Question but, shot out of a cannon. Mm -hmm. You gotta, you gotta kill one forever. Corn tortilla or flour tortilla. What one are you going with for the rest of your life? I would um, ask this question and like my hair blew back. Like I did not expect it to. Yeah. Like that's, a I don't know. I think corn tortilla I would keep. Yep. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I think I think, and it's so funny because I was thinking about it that night when I made it because like I ate some that were corn and some that were flour, and I was like, you know, I I appreciate a flour tortilla because it's fluffy, it's like comforting, it like hits all the right spots. But like after eating a corn tortilla that's like perfectly prepared, right like way. it's browned, it's like it's got the moisture, it's not like dry and brittle. Like the flavor is so much more yep. in comparison to a flour tortilla, you can do so much and more. it's. Yeah, agreed. I agreed. had I had some corn tortillas. We had went on a vacation. I like to go up to um, the Catskills every once in a while, and we had had a taco night. You know, everybody needs a taco night during the week. Mm -hmm. I had put the taco shells in the refrigerator just because I didn't want to like leave them out, and the bag didn't seal perfectly, and they dried out, like really mm. dried out. So I'm big on no waste. I like to mm -hmm. like. I think I, I touch on my Native American heritage on using every part of literally everything. Um, I, I put them out on the counter out of the bag and let them dry out more and then ground it up. And then I breaded some like, like pheasant cutlets and just cooked yeah. them with, with the, with the ground up corn tortillas. It was like, I felt like I was traveling through time. Like I didn't waste any part of it. So corn tortillas, I think are way more versatile. You could not do yeah. that with a flour tortilla. Let me tell you something that will blow your mind. All right. 
using corn tortillas in sausage as the binder. Oh my God, really? Do you let it dry? Yeah. Grind it as is? How do you do it? As is. So it like, absorbs the moisture. So, Look at that. Wow. Yeah, so as you're putting the meat through the grinder, throw like a handful of tortillas in there. Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. Hey, question. So mm-hmm. I rarely get to sit down and chat with people that have had this level of game meat before. Um, have you had alligator? Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it yeah. like the greatest secret ever? It has. It's like if if chicken and pork had a baby and got rid of all of the pork and chicken flavor and was kind of like neutral, almost like you know how tofu, whatever you cook tofu in, it kind of like you know it it, yeah. it absorbs that personality. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, uh, I, so I, I told you I lived down in Florida, um, that's why, and I, I went out, that's why I, knew yeah, I, I went out, I went out once alligator hunting. It was not successful, but my good friend Adam Steele provided me with some alligator, uh, which I got to play around with. So I did a lot of research prior to going on that trip. Cause it was like my first time alligator hunting. And I was like, I need to understand like how to break down this alligator. Cause to me it just seems like something very intimidating. Yes. Do you know that in the tail of an alligator, which is what most people eat, most people eat the tail meat. So in the tail, they're like four, I think it's four or five, I can't remember exactly, different like spirals of meat. And so there's some that are on the inside Uh and some that are on the outside. The ones that are on the inside are comparable to like like loin, like tenderloin, like super tender cuts. white meat and dark meat of the alligator. There is. Yeah, yeah. Really? So the tail is all lighter colored meat. You get the darker meat in the legs okay. and stuff. But yeah, it's a, there's a lot like an alligator is a very complex, like cuts of yeah. meat and stuff like that. Yep. They, uh, man. Yeah. The flavor is phenomenal. I made a, I did an alligator paella and that was like, talk about some great flavors that mix well. I love taking non-traditional meats and making traditional dishes with them and sharing yeah. them with my friends, my family, and people saying, look at look at how diverse and different this tastes. Because you know what pork's going to taste like, chicken, mm-hmm. you know, beef. What You know what that's going to taste like just to have it in a different version. I, I get so much joy out of doing that. And when I cooked... When I cooked the alligator, uh, I actually have done it a few times, but the first time I ever did it, um, I did a review of the seven small businesses that are still making cast iron in America right now. No corporations, no big companies, over 100 employees. Everything was small, you know, mom and pop shops. And I reached out to all of them. Um, I said, listen, I want to do this test. I want to show people your business because I am a big vintage cast iron enthusiast, but I am also an enthusiast of cast iron as a whole. So if people prefer to buy a new piece of cast iron, it's my job, I feel like, to introduce people to these brands. So I reached out to all the different companies and they all were on board. So I was like, okay, this is bigger than I than I thought. This is going to be like a production thing. Like I had my brother come over with all of his cameras. We did like a big shoot in my kitchen. And one of the meals I made was alligator. It was an alligator. It was a piece of loin, but it was cut into nuggets. It was pre-cut into pieces. So I just literally, sure. I literally felt like, all right, I'm just going to handle this like chicken and learn. I'm going to panko, you know, flour, egg panko breadcrumb i think i use quail eggs which i'm a big fan of quail and 
Oh, I made yeah. al- I literally just made alligator nuggets. It was the it was amazing how good it was, and it's and alligator is actually pretty good for you too. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, all wild game in general carries way more benefits for you than any like domestic, yep. like hands, hands down. So, um, no, that's awesome. Yeah, alligator is such a fun thing. I'm I'm trying to figure out a plan to go back down and like have a. a a hunt where i can <laughs> recuperate myself i guess <laughs> um we we had we had some struggles that that hunt it was in uh it was in august maybe it was later uh. no it had to have been in october it was a f- so the season runs like august to a little bit later and i waited till the end because i'd stacked it up against with some hunting in wyoming and so we went up and like a cold front hit okay and so the temperature, if the temperature drops, I think it's 60 or 70 below that, like the ambient temperatures, the alligators will stay in the water Okay. because the water's warmer. And so they'll stay in there. So it makes it a little more challenging. Okay. I had, I had drawn an alligator tag that was not, uh, it was like a second round tag. So it wasn't a good tag is like, there's not a lot of alligators people don't have success the success rate is much lower okay. but we we found like a little niche where there were and i just i made a rookie move and uh ended up not getting the alligator and then we just like ran out of time like that's that's the whole thing is that time challenge but you know yeah I, you want to see a guy that can really cook some alligator my buddy there uh, uh stale cracker he is you know stale cracker official from louisiana oh. no he, dude, this guy. Okay, so t- picture like a like a barn chef. I call them barn chefs, garage chefs, backyard chefs. Picture like a barn chef that hit it big, who actually really knows how to cook and never forgot where he came from, and just cooks like ten times the normal amount and gives it to the community. That's this guy. Oh, you know what? I've seen this guy he's, on on social. He's literally. I think that everybody should follow this guy because number one, he teaches you to be charitable and to love your neighbor and to be kind to people. Number two, he teaches you a nice, easy, fun way to cook just about anything, and he's comedic and he's charismatic. And when I saw him cook alligator a couple times, I'm like, I I think I can do this now. Like he gave me the faith to get into it. So I was like, thank you, Stale Cracker official. I'd love this. Like he's he's <laughs> he's got a good um he's got a good niche. Like he's got that whole Bayou accent. Like he's just like you know Louisiana dude. And I, I would just it made it easier for me to tackle alligator, which was kind of the training wheels of getting into other game meats as well for me. I'm a big fan of elk i'm a big fan of bison i think that you know a good free range bison and like or or like a wild elk is just why wouldn't you feed your children that like you Mm -hmm. need to the our kids these days you look at what kids eat in the cafeterias at school these days it's like jesus get that shit out of here you know i've cooked it's so funny my my daughter came home from school today and she's like dad second day in a row because so we feed our kids game meat otherwise they don't they don't get they don't get meat really they don't and that's sort of a choice we chose but they my daughter very much who's 10 now she very much like is proud of that what's her so she goes favorite game meats um she's a big like deer mule deer she likes mule deer yeah which is good which is another like really bold flavor but no she likes it and uh 
her big her big thing she's like she's uh looking forward to getting a turkey this year so really she's uh yeah. okay it'll be fun but she comes home from school today and she's like dad second day in a row like i went through the lunch line and like didn't really have anything like the strawberries are squishy like yesterday was pizza today was lasagna like i'm not really you know i just ate like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and i was like okay um she's like honestly i want to take like I just want to make a salad and take it to school and be like, this is what fresh vegetables look like. And I'm like, all right, all right. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. I can't wait to, to like, I'm thinking we're, we're at the point where we're thinking about kids. We're on the fence about when to do it. And I grew up on a farm. My family immigrated here in the mid 1800s. Um, they actually came here on, we just found this out through genealogy. Like we got a bunch of ancestry kits for Christmas, not to like trail off on this, but they came to America on the SS Carpathia, which was the boat that saved all the Titanic survivors. So I've been like getting really into their lives and their heritage. They came to America and they were all chefs from like Hungary and Germany. And they knew we can go to New York city. We could be chefs and we could be, you know, we can do catering and do private cooking gigs, but we want to be farmers. That's the goal. Make the money as chefs and cook, but we want to be farmers. So in the late 1800s, they bought this uh, like 29 acre tree farm. And that was our family's farm up till a couple years when my grandparents passed away. But every time we grew a different fruit or different vegetable and brought it home, I was like, this is not what the hell is the grocery store selling? This is what, yeah. like strawberries, perfect example. If you have a fresh grown on a farm strawberry versus like a, a grocery store strawberry or a fresh raspberry, it's like there's no comparison. Mm-hmm. And No, you're right. I think that's that. That's kind of what, you know, you know, uh, kind of guided me into this, this whole life of more natural um, meats and, and, and vegetables and fruits and whatever. But I think that's awesome. And I think that, every parent should be thinking the way that you're thinking like the grocery store only when you really need it. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely try to, we try to do, do as much as we can ourselves. And like, I don't know this, uh, we we did when we lived in the keys, we did a lot of seafood and stuff. So it's been kind of a challenge of like getting away from being in, in the middle of the country and and not having access to a lot of, uh, like super fresh fish, easily right. like here same concept right like you go out you fish for it you do whatever you go to the store you buy it like yeah. i'm also very particular about like what fish i buy at the store but like no tilapia. in the keys too no tilapia no 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 i'm no, never, every friend never. i talk to that doesn't know i'm telling them that's not a real fish Mm-mm. it's not a real thing Mm-mm. don't buy it there's no such thing as a wild tilapia go salmon or trout i guess salmon and trout or you know steelhead and all that stuff so that's pretty big where you're at right yeah, so salmon, uh, well, trout, trout more so. Uh, you get lake trout, uh, you get bass, catfish, uh, pike, uh, some walleye, things like that. But yeah, salmon's coming from like Alaska, Pacific Northwest area, depending on the fishery. Okay. Um, yeah, and then, you know, all that. But like living in the Keys, like it was across the street. Yeah. Like you spearfish, fish, whatever, go on a buddy's boat. Like even if you bought it at the store, it was still super fresh. Like <laughs> I love how you – wait, I want to touch on something you just said. I, I love this. Go on a buddy's boat. It's my theory. You never want to be the guy that owns the boat. You yeah. always want to be the guy that shows up with a $100 bill for gas and a 30-pack of beer and everything yep. is on him. You know what I mean? No, you're – 
you're 100% and it's like I owned a boat once <laughs> once a very long time ago and dumped a lot of money into it and then sold it and then I was like look people would be like when we lived in QS they're like why why don't you have a boat like you don't want to go out you know all the time with your family I was like look I have friends with boats when they invite me out I go on there and I'm the guy that brings all the good food yep. I bring the good drinks I help wash the boat at the end of the day I pay for gas like I'm the best boat buddy there yes. is but I don't want to own it that's a, there's your <laughs> like, new shirt best boat buddies <laughs> and have a, just a dude holding a case of beer and like a hundred dollar bill. That's because I got buddies. I got tons of buddies that own boats. They say people show up and don't even bring that. They just say, "Oh, well, I really appreciate this." Well, yeah, all right. That's bad boat etiquette. It's, it absolutely is. You're right. Well, yeah. that's good, man. I'm glad to hear all that. It makes me feel happy for the future. Hearing that there's so much, there's so many people that that are thinking this way. You know, like it. It's not all bad, you know. No. The world is not all bad, so. No, there's there's still some folks out there. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are fifteen dollars a month when you purchase a three month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Let, let me ask you this. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wheel us back around. All right. Um, All right. So how did you get into cast iron the way that you're into cast iron? Well, okay, so when I was, when I was like, you know, around the, the end of high school time, like you start in college time, my grandfather was, was my best friend. The guy was born in Tennessee in the, in the Great Depression, log cabin, dirt floor, didn't own a pair of shoes. His mother was actually, my great-great-grandmother was actually like cl like clinically insane because of the the conditions that their life transpired to and he was left on his own at 14 he wandered off and went and worked for a farm and just built this life for himself he, he wound up joining the army and then the air force traveled the world and just became this wonderfully humble thankful person that i felt deserved love until the very end and he became like my best friend and when he got sick towards the end of my life or end of his life 
my family asked me to step in and help take care of him. Um, you know, he trusted me. He loved me. We were very, very close. He has a lot of other, a lot of grandkids, like my cousins and stuff, loved him very close with them. But he, he trusted me. I spent a lot of time staying over with him and I cooked, I learned to cook for him because I lived with him 24 seven. He had Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, everything. And I learned that when you lose your mind and you start not knowing what's going on around you, you forget what a car is, what a bird is, what people are. You can still understand your sense of taste and if food tastes good. And food can trigger so many memories for somebody regardless of their medical situation. I learned to cook these wonderful southern meals for him that drew in his mind and brought him back to earth. And I just truly found a love for cooking. And we didn't have any internet or like, you know, crazy cable channels. He had just like basic cable. He lived in the mountains in the Sourland Mountains in New Jersey, which was about an hour from where I grew up. And I went when I went and moved with him, he his medicine would wear off in the middle of the night and he would be, you know, having these hallucinations and I'd have to give him medicine and put him back to bed. And I would see on PBS in the middle of the night, like Julia Child, Jacques Pepin, like early, early Gordon Ramsay. Um uh, Marco Pierre White, like all the good chefs, like, yeah. the, like Wolfgang Puck, even like all. Remember, like the first series of Wolfgang Puck, he was just like cooking for a room of friends. Like Emeril was yep. cooking for a room of people. Gordon Ramsay, and I was like, man, this is awesome. So I would write down these recipes that these chefs were doing on these shows, and that would come on in the middle of the night. And our big adventure for me and my grandfather the next day was to go to the grocery store and emulate these wonderful recipes. And I saw how much joy it brought into his life. And I mean, let's it's let's be honest. Men are very different with their emotions. You know, that's why we die mm -hmm. 10 years earlier, because we can't just admit that a puppy's cute sometimes. So <laughs> I found that my way of my way of sharing love and showing love was cooking these wonderful meals for him. And I said, I want to do this for the rest of my life. You know, he's he's long since passed and I've, I've you know, gotten through all of that. But I've learned that my way of showing love, if my girlfriend comes home from she's a school teacher, she works with um she works uh, multiple disabilities, you know, in young, like kindergarten, first grade time. When she has a bad day, I cook her a good soup or a good good meal, and I say, "Here, I hope I hope this makes you feel better." So I kind of carry my grandfather's memory with me by cooking good meals for the people I love. And on my my father's side of the family, my grandmother was an antique dealer. When I was younger. I spent a lot of time at her house as well. And I was always going to auctions. I was always with her. I was a little kid with her. And she would say, Put, keep your hands down because we're being at an auction if I like raise my hand or anything like that. <laughs> and I learned, I, for lack of a better term, the art of flipping things, really. Like how you mm -hmm. can take something. She dealed with a lot of glass, like depression era glass. I don't really have much. Like I see, if you see up here, um, yeah. a lot of pyrex and stuff that actually that actually is my grandmother's bowl right here this is one of her one of her pyrex bowls but um oh yeah so she she dealt with a lot of depression glass and fenton glass and stuff like that she would clean it up and and then flip it and make it you know a ton of money doing it it was a wonderful hobby for her and she always told me find a hobby that pays for itself so I thought, what a, what a wonderful marriage these two sides of my family can come together. And I can remember my grandmother and my grandfather by cooking for the people I love and restoring these antique treasures. And it just brings me so much joy to do this. It's, it isn't work to me. It is not work to me. I post a wonderful skillet 
that I spend hours and, and tons of time restoring. And I send it to the person. I said, you, you have to do me. You, you have to agree to send me pictures of what you cook in this. That's what I want to see. And that, mm, that's cool, man. that is better than any amount of money I could ever trade for any skillet that I put my hands on. That's awesome. No, I, uh, man, you and I have a lot in common, uh, just to like hit this. So, uh, my grandmother too dealt in antiques and specifically like depression air glass. So like, uh, Francoma carnival glass, uh, milk glass. Yeah. Like some of the, Oh gosh, I can't call it. You like in the light, you can see like, uh, this, orange kind of fiery color but it's kind of like a milk milk glass milk. i just found my first piece of carnival carnival glass and i thought of my grandmother it was literally like a week ago i found a carnival glass punch bowl with all the original cups oh man my mom has one of those man what a fun my mom it's sitting my mom has a she's got an entire like cabinet full of carnival glass at her house so it's like her favorite it's so cool isn't it? it's like art yeah. no two pieces are the same and like you, for every one person that understands what this stuff is, what carnival glass is, even cast iron and vintage pirates, there's a hundred people that have no idea this stuff even exists. Mm-hmm. So we have to do this. We owe it to society. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I think it's cool too, like the history behind like why, why it came about and like how it was made. And like, these were very, like a lot of them very like small, you know, American owned American ran yep. f- factories that are just like we're just cranking this out for our local community and then they just kind of like spread yep yep like if you go in upstate new york they have the corning museum of glass like mm-hmm. that corning ware and pyrex and all that stuff and just like you see how it started it, it just it almost seems as if it didn't they didn't intend for it to get as big as it was and that's kind of where i hit during the depression or during the depression listen to me uh we're not there yet um during the the pandemic i kind of like it all took a shift where everybody was at home and cooking at home nobody could get doordash Mm -hmm. like i live in new jersey it's very populated here it's very hard to get takeout even when there's not a pandemic so i think people learned the proper way to cook and it was a necessity and it grew like 10 times more than i thought it would and that's what i feel like you know, all these old companies went through back in the day, like, Oh, this is really cool stuff. People are going to appreciate this down the road. And that's, that's all I really hope for. Yeah. You know, no, I think it, that's, yeah, that's a great point too. Um, and to see too, like the quality and craftsmanship and like people, you know, people were passionate about that. Uh-huh. It's just like, I, I get to go to work every day and I make, I make, glassware that people just go home and they serve their family with right and like that's my contribution you know it reminds me of uh what's the name it's one of the like the mafia movies where like robert de niro is the bus driver but he's like very like proud of being the bus driver Uh, driver no no not taxi driver it's uh is it robert de niro maybe he's like the guy the main character's dad um anyway i digress but he's like he's like my job is to get and contribution to society is to get people from point a to point b to get them to work on time to make sure that they can go see their loved ones like that's my job and i'm just like i think in you know a lot of society today i think we miss that nobody's proud of their job anymore everybody wants to be paid for doing nothing i'm a i'm a manual machinist i work with lathes and 
uh, vertical turret lathes that are from the turn of the century, like 1915. The one lathe I run is from the 1940s. Like, wow. This, these are the same techniques that they use to machine this, the cast iron that I'm using. So I understand more of what goes into it. I understand how to handle mm -hmm. the metal different. And I just want to be able to, obviously, the sales and restorations are a big part of what I do. Without that, mm -hmm. I couldn't continue to go. But in, deep in my heart, I really hope that, you know, maybe one out of every hundred followers or something is somebody that's actually intrigued by the business of metal that could leave corporate America and stop being on a wheel and maybe get into a trade and do something like, look, like my hands, like I'm, these are my hands, like every day I come home, these are my washed hands, but they're not clean. You know what I mean? I think yep. people... I think the trades are something that we need to fully embrace and there's mm -hmm. a lot of happiness you can get from having pride in your job. Like I love my day job. I love the company that I work for without them. I wouldn't have any of this. So, mm -hmm. you know, just to, just to have that world, um, those two worlds collide, it, it just gives me a deeper appreciation of how they did things a hundred years ago, not given the modern equipment, yeah. you know? No, it's very, it's very spot on. It's yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. So I do want to dive a little bit then. Thanks for sharing your story of like how you, how you got into cooking and how you got into cast iron. And it's, it's a very personal story and I appreciate you sharing it. Cause it's like, I definitely re relate to you on some of those and, and I, I see your passion. It shows through. Thank you very much. So, Besides the corny video um, that I do the reels on Instagram, there is a lot of love and, and heart, but in the back end of it, like I only show probably 10% of what I'm actually doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You know, Hey, we, we, we do those videos, you know, it grabs people's attention and then they're like, Upkeep. then they become passionate about yep. it. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I do want to, and it's funny because in, in our conversation is like, uh, I do want to address sort of the elephant in the room, right? The, in talking cast iron, the, the Bon Appetit article, oh, uh, man. boy, it was, it's been a rough week. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever been, I don't think I've ever been messaged an article. I've been DM'd something so many times I woke up. I think it was it was mon Monday morning or Tuesday morning because the article came out on the 18th and it took a little time for it to hit and absorb into the internet world. But it was either Monday or Tuesday morning I woke up and I, I have the same routine. I let my dog out, you know, go to the bathroom, get dressed, ready for work, grab something to eat. And I opened my phone and I was like, uh-oh, something happened. <laughs> I saw that amount of DMs. I said, uh-oh, what is it? And it was the article about saying that it's okay to use soap on your skillets and everybody was asking me how I felt if I wanted to send an official response if I wanted to make a video response and my whole thing with it is this I'm like I said I'm not a wasteful person I like to use everything I can whenever I cook a roast or a, or if I cook a chicken or a turkey I use the bones I make a stock I'm, I mean you can mm -hmm. probably ultimately relate to that and my yeah, soap, my thing with soap is I live in I live in New Jersey. I don't have a well. We have city water. So when you use a lot of water, it affects things. And 
not only does it affect your water bill, but it's also a part of conservation where I feel like when you, when you want to say you want to sanitize water in your camping. Okay. We could relate, we could both relate to this. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you sanitize water when you're camping? Uh, I generally run it through like a filter or you boil it or you boil it. Yeah. Which uses fuel, which is why. Yeah. yeah so that's where like, I'm going with this. So any bacteria or germs that can harm the human body or the human immune system die off at 163 degrees. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now if you take your skillet and you cook on it, let me, let me grab a little, uh, demo here. So you take your skillet. All right. Here's a, a nice unrestored, you know, small lodge piece here. You take this skillet and it, it needs to be cleaned off. You run a little water in it. You run a little chain mail or like a, a, you know, a little stainless steel wool through it and rinse it off. Rub it with oil and put it on your stove until it just starts to smoke, which is around, you know, 375, 425-ish. Okay. You don't need to use soap. Your pan is sanitized way before the smoke even shows. So I'm not sure where the parallel of sanitization and actually having to use soap come together. I, my whole thing is, you know, I I mean, talking about my family being from Tennessee, if you talk about putting soap near any cast iron in Tennessee, you're going to get kicked out of the house. Number one. Yeah. But, (laughs) but also like, I'm see, I'm coming from a necessity standpoint. I'm coming from, you don't need to do it. It's not necessary. And if your pan is seasoned, soap won't hurt it. Yes. But if your pan is very well seasoned, then you could put it on the stove on medium heat for 10 minutes and you're way above 163. You don't need to use the soap. And when I did, I was interviewed by Brad uh, Leone from, from Bon Appetit magazine about the whole cast iron thing. And, and I didn't mention soap or anything in that at all. I just said, use your oven or your burner and heat sanitizes and kills all your germs. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's modern detergents and chemicals in soap. Soap doesn't grow on trees. You can't just go and, and you know, wring out some soap leaves and get soap. It's made in a lab. There's chemicals. And when cast iron, with cast iron being so porous, I don't care what anyone says. When you use whatever you put into that skillet, the skillet is going to absorb a little bit of each thing you cook. That's why your skillet gets better over time as you cook. So why on earth, why on earth would you incorporate a chemical or something that doesn't, doesn't even belong near it? You know what I mean? My whole, my quote, my, my, my quote, my go-to line that I use is you can spray paint a Porsche with a rattle can, you know, with a spray paint can, right? Mm -hmm. It'll, it'll paint the Porsche, right? Yeah. But it's unnecessary and probably not the right way to do it (laughs) (laughs) it's true yeah yeah Yeah. i i i I think i should figure out maybe how i can come out with it not not a not a rebuttal or an or i don't i don't want it to be an argumentative thing it's not a pork roll taylor ham pats and genos philly conversation it's just a (laughs) the average person uses between five and seven gallons of water to wash a cast iron skillet when they use soap now if you say lay on say on a low end five gallons and you use your skillet say four nights a week, that's twenty gallons a week. Okay, 
That's over a thousand gallons of water a year that you're using that you don't need to use. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of water. That's a lot of water. Whether you live in a, in a place where you have a well and you're getting natural water, fine. But that's still water you're pulling out of the environment and putting back into the sewer system that is completely unnecessary. Man. Am I right? Yeah. Like, what do you think? No, no, no. I agree with you too. And, you know, speaking from like a person from the outdoor community is like we, th- we talk a lot about conservation, right? Conservation, yeah. protection of water, protection of public lands, all these things like – this is something that kind of plays into that, I would say. Big like, time. And no one's talking about it. That's the problem. Everyone's talking about, well, if your pan is really good and well-seasoned, soap won't harm it. Okay, well then why the hell are you using it? Yeah. You need a lot of water to rinse Dawn off of a porous piece of metal. Do you think that Do you think that some of it's the connection? And I remember I had a friend in, in college, and she's like, we like get all these things to sort of clean our house with that make it smell good. And we have these mental associations with it. Oh, when in really the end, like we just need to clean it. Like, like whatever it takes to clean it. We don't need all these. You don't need the degreasers. You don't need the, this, you don't need the, that you don't need the scented, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like what I think, I think about that. What I think it truly is, 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 is a combination of two things. I think number one, it's a mental thing where people think, okay, I need to use the soap so that it's sanitary and it makes me feel better. And if that's the case, fine. If it makes you feel better about using your cast iron, do two steps forward, three steps back. I don't care. (laughs) As, as brutal as that sounds. But what I think the other part of it is, is people, um, like there's, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this with it with it coming across. It, people don't know that if you heat something up, it, 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 it so so people I think modern cast iron corporations and modern cast iron sales um, kind of weaponize the fact that they're not selling cast iron unless people have that mental touch that they're using soap to wash it so all right we need to sell this cast iron skillet they're not buying it because they said we can't use soap so what do we say soap is okay oh and now we're selling our cast iron i think it's a modern Mm. i think it's a modern marketing ploy because if i'll tell you what if wagner griswold volrath erie any of the cast iron companies from the 1910s and 1900s 1920s talked about using soap Everyone would have been like, what the hell are you talking about? They were a way more informed consumer than we are nowadays. We have 10 times more the media access to this, to the, to the, to consumerism, but we have 10 times less the common sense. So what, what do we do to sell our pants? Make it okay to use soap. And is it okay to use soap? Absolutely. But is a hundred and hundred million percent wasteful. Wow. So then, so we've, we've talked through, we sort of talked through this article a lot and I, I, I read it before and then I just browsed over it again. So I'll put it in the show notes for those that are interested in going to read it just is like a comparison to our conversation, but yeah, yeah it's a, uh, yeah. People wanted me to get petty and I don't want to, I'm not a petty person. I don't think there's any benefit to being petty, but, um, 
I'll just put it this way. Uh, a lot of a lot of chefs trust me. <laughs> well, That's fair. I'll put it that way. <laughs> That's fair. So, so she does mention the salt, the kosher salt in here. Absolutely, which I am a hundred percent on board with. Yeah, and I I've done that, and I've heard of it a long, long time ago. I think it was actually my grandmother that may have taught me. All that. of our grandmothers uh, did that. Corsi, probably. Yeah, all of it. Which I'll tell everybody too. I am a big kosher salt fan. Big time, big time. Yeah, it's safe. It's versatile. It dissolves if yep. you need it to dissolve. It'll sit nice on something if you need it to sit nice. Uh, yes, I I am more of a fan of. Um, I have an Amazon shop in the link in my bio and my Instagram where I actually have a very coarse sea salt for very severe pans. <laughs> like if your pan is in dire need of cleaning, you can get, you know, it's like quarter inch rock salt, you know, sea salt uh, made by a company. I believe it's called Baleen. Um, but still, there's different forms of salt. You have your kosher salt, you have sea salt, rock salt, and then like you know, extra brittle, heavy duty salt. That's all you really need. And that rinses away with the water, goes back into the environment. It came from the environment. It's more of a natural approach. The whole reason people use cast iron is because it's a natural approach to cooking, correct? So yep. why implement yeah. the natural way to clean it? Yeah. So. I think people, I think people too interested in the, uh, which I, I had this question for you, retention versus disbursement of heat. Okay. Like, retention okay as far as what what would you so like i hear people say cast iron's great because it retains heat right. and i hear people say cast iron is great because it is good at dispersing heat evenly across the pan and i've heard both sides of yes it is and yes no it's not well well i mean science science will tell you that abs it absolutely is the thermogenic properties of iron itself lend it to be the best because i mean i like like i said i work in metal i work in the metal industry and sure. you know thermodynamics is a big part of what we do we build a lot of process equipment we do a lot of like um uh fluid tanks and and things that heat and cool and heat and cool over time and that is the main reason that people back in the day implemented cast iron into their home because what did they have wood stoves did you mm -hmm. want to keep going out to the yard and cutting kindling and getting logs if you were going to cook something? No. <laughs> no. We, we no. have a pan that can handle it. And this whole movement with getting rid of gas stoves, if everyone used cast iron on their stoves, we would conserve so much less gas because it takes less gas to maintain the heat of your pan. Think about it. You have a pan that is super thin, like this thin. Okay, how quickly is that going to cool off? Almost instantly when the fire's turned off, correct? Now, mm -hmm, you have a pan that's that's what a quarter inch thick, you know, three eighths or, or three sixteenths of an inch thick. That's solid iron. That pan is going to stay hotter five to six times longer, which means it requires five to six times less the amount of heat to bring it to that temperature. Yeah. So, I have. Um, I have one of the, the, it's a heat gun and we actually use it for, for the welds and stuff that we use at work. And I kind of want to do a video of showing what it's like when you take a, you know, a thin walled modern, um, a Teflon pan or whatever modern company you want to talk about, whatever, there's a million different modern company pans that are the best ones ever. And no, I will not collaborate with any of you guys. 
which which happens way more than I like to tell to lead on. But um, and I think it would be really cool to do an experiment to show the heat gun on a cast iron skillet a half an hour after the fire is turned off. It will blow your mind yeah. how hot that pan still is. Yeah. So, no, you're, you're absolutely true. So, yeah, if anybody is worried about – there's a lot of people that are concerned with the amount of, of environmental um, destruction that a gas stove brings. If you're truly worried about that, get yourself a good cast iron pan. You'll use, like I said, five to six times less the amount of, of gas than you will use to, buy, to, to heat up one of these modern pans that you buy at Target and Bed Bath and beyond. Um, I get a lot of customers that say, I want to buy a whole set. My wife doesn't want me to get a cast iron because it doesn't look good. All right. Well, that's not practical. Sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's another, like, correct me if I'm wrong too, but like, that's another reason why cast irons became so popular is because you had like a versatile pan. Yeah. You could do anything in it. Yeah. It can go broiler to stove to oven top to wherever. You know what I mean? I, I do... I like to make a lot of stock. Like when your daughter gets a turkey, I'd like to talk again about making a good turkey stock. But um, yeah. I'll take a big, big, fat cast iron pan and put all the bones and every piece of that carcass in there and throw that baby right on the smoker at 400 degrees and leave it on there for like two or three hours. Right? Scrape all them. Good flavor. Scrape all them good bits off of there and put it right in a pot and and make a stock with it okay you can't do that with the teflon stuff it doesn't happen you can't take a teflon plastic handled pan and put it in your smoker it's not gonna happen Mm-mm. you're gonna have a mess no. you're gonna have a mess of smoke and chemicals that are just not gonna make your food taste good no you're right i uh and what was he gonna say what are what are some of the what are some of the best things, in your opinion, to cook at a cast iron? What are some of the no-nos? Well, so in traditional cast iron, some of the no-nos would be anything like acidic because acids, as they're heat, as if acids sit in for a long time or if they're heated up for a long period of time, they tend to break down oils, even those, even oils that are polymerized, which polymerized means an oil that is chemically bonded to your cast iron through the process of heating and cooling. Um, but still, if you heat up lemon juice or tomatoes or, or a lot of vinegar, um, vinegar is actually, like we discussed before, vinegar is actually a method you can use to actually take the rust out of the pan to remove the oxidization of a pan. So you don't really want to implement many, much vinegar into your recipe if you're going to be using cast iron. Um, they make a lot of enameled cast iron, which looks like this. You ever seen like a nice – this is a um, – yeah, this yeah. is a Copco pan from Denmark. It's an enameled cast iron pan. You can still get all the heating uh, properties and the, the heat retention properties of cast iron, but you can put anything in it and it won't damage the seasoning of the of the pan, excuse me, because it actually doesn't need to be seasoned. So I save all of my enameled stuff. You have like Staub or La Crusade or, or, or Copco. I see La Crusade is probably one of the ones I, I've seen and used the most. Right. Yeah. Um, Funny enough, actually, I have behind me. I have one of the only La Crusade sized K. It's an so before the before World War II, La Crusade used uh, letters to distinguish how many quarts. Like if it was an A, it was one quart. A B was two quart. Blah blah. And I have a K pre-war La Crusade, which is eleven quarts. And hang on, I'll show you. You can you can literally. Depending on your religion, you could baptize a child in this. 
The thing's huge. Uh, they actually offered to buy that from me, La Crusade. And uh, I said, now, nah. I said, I said, I think I hang on to it. But I can cook anything I want in that. I could cook any mm-hmm. kind of borscht. Like if I want to do like a beet-based recipe, a lemon-based recipe, anything acidic or anything with a lot of citric acid you don't want to use in traditional cast iron. You save it for the enameled stuff. So those are your no-nos. But the, as far as the best thing to cook in cast iron, I think like any, like we talked about before, any natural meats, any game meats, um, I'm not, I don't, I don't say this word correctly. I don't know how to say it correctly. I can't say it correctly. It's called the Maillard effect. Maillard reaction. Maillard. 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 I can't say it. I'm sorry. It's one of those words I it's okay. <laughs> my, my uncle can't say the word aluminum. He's been a welder for 50 years. I can't say it. May, Maillard effect. So it, that's where the caramelization of the sugars and meats create a crust. When you get a steak on the grill and mm-hmm. it has that nice crust, that's the Maillard effect. And I think that any natural meat will make a better crust. Um, you want meats that are, have some sort of fat to them. Um, when I cook any type of lean game meat that doesn't have a lot of fat, I always add duck fat or beef tallow. I use, um, bison tallow or Wagyu tallow, this company fat works that I do a lot of work with. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're a wonderful company. And when you get their product, it literally says, Oh, it's, it's uh, pork lard. What are the ingredients? One ingredient, pork lard. I love it. So, mm-hmm. That, yep. that actually aids in the caramelization and the crust on the meat. So any meat obviously is really good, but there's a lot of my customers that are vegans, which are, that are veg- vegetarians or pescatarians. Certain fish is good. Um, I think oil. We do. We do a lot. The majority of our salmon in cast iron because I like, I like such a crispy yes, skin. Yes, yes. Because it's a cold water fish, correct? Salmon's cold water. It's got a yep. lot cold. The colder the fish, or the colder the water, the fish, the more oil the fish has, and the more oil the fish has, the better crust you're going to get on the skillet. So if you use like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but cod and haddock and you know salmon, those are all cold water, really oily fish that cook beautifully in cast iron. Um, but also certain vegetables, I think, you know, you could, you could take, I mean, even anything as far as like, like fresh peppers, or you could take eggplant. You, if have you ever tried to make an eggplant Parmesan and cast iron, you will not turn back. I'm sorry. You won't. I'm calling it right now. If you've never made a, a eggplant Parmesan in a cast iron skillet, you are, you're missing out in life. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. I do one of the restaurants I worked at in New Orleans when I first started cooking, uh, Charlie's Seafood. Uh, it was a great place. They did a seafood stuffed eggplant, which was essentially like what would be a Cajun Creole version of a eggplant parmesan okay. with this like seafood stuffing mixture. Don't picture like cornbread or things like that. Was or it like, like layered or was it more like a rollatini? Yeah. Or okay. So you would take it would be a, a disc of an eggplant, probably about mm, half inch to an inch thick. Okay. You'd slice that, you'd batter it, you'd fry it, put it on the plate, put a scoop of this delicious seafood dressing in the middle Ugh. of it, and then put another eggplant disc on top. Ugh. And oh my gosh. See, where I'm at in New Jersey, I am just as far away from the farms in Pennsylvania as I am to the beach. 
Oh. So like I could I can look this way and go get some free range beef, or I can look that way and go get the best damn scallops ever, man. Like it, oh, yeah. that sounds wonderful. Man, what do you what do you think? Um, what would you say your favorite thing to cook in cast iron is? Like, what are some of your go to recipes? I mean, man, we so uh, my cast iron pan lives on the stove. It gets used probably like every day, and I'm not saying I'm. St- I'm sure people tell you that a lot, but like, I'm, I'm very truthful in that. Yeah. Like, um, man, what is like bacon's always a very common one in my house. That's like, what I, I love to bacon. use whenever somebody, how yeah. do I season this thing and get the seasoning off to a good start? I would say cook a, a pound of bacon. They're like, what am I going to yeah. do with a pound of bacon? I said, if you can't figure that out, you don't have any business owning a cast iron skillet. <laughs> Probably my favorite thing I think to do with the cast iron and the way that I use it, I think the most is I like cooking a lot of whole cuts, like big roast or things like that. So searing them, browning them in the cast iron before they go into it or using the cast iron because I've got – I've got a large cast iron skillet. I've got a couple Dutch ovens that I use. And so depending on what I'm making, I'll either just sear it in the the large skillet and then move it to whatever, if I'm cooking the slow cooker, if it's going on the grill or the smoker or in the oven, like I want that crust. But also if I'm doing it in the Dutch oven, I'm going to heat the Dutch oven super hot and get it seared in there before I put it in the oven or in the smoker. I like cooking with the Dutch oven in the smoker as well. You bring up a good point. A lot of people, I think it's a, it's a misunderstood quality of cast iron. You have to get it piping hot before you cook with it because it will stick. Everyone's like, well, like, oh my, the the eggs are sticking to my cast iron. What am I doing? I said, well, you're not using the proper amount of heat. You need that thing piping hot. Mm -hmm. You need that oil roaring, roaring heat. And you put that egg in there and you shake that skillet just enough and loosen the egg. Yeah. Thing will not stick at all. You can turn the pan upside down. What's 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 your go to oil? Um, I use actually I use beef tallow. Beef tallow, yeah, yeah I, it's pretty solid. If I have to, if I have somebody that has dietary restrictions, or if I'm, you know, if I'm if I'm short for beef tallow, I I will use avocado oil because it has a higher smoke point. If I'm doing a really high heat recipe, like a lot of high, like if I really want to. Like if I'm searing a prime rib and I got to sear it for a long, long, long time, I will use an avocado oil and blend. I'll use, I'll use lard. I'll use, I use a lot of duck fat. I think duck fat is a a very underrated thing to use in cast iron. I think it has a nice rich flavor, but it's also still neutral. If if that makes sense to you, I don't know how to explain. No, it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a big proponent of animal fats because I'm a huge Julia Child fan, and she was a big fan of animal fat. Mm-hmm. And I think animal fats were really villainized in the 1950s and 60s as um, canola and vegetable and olive oil became the mainstream thing uh, because people learned how to mass produce it. Um, they had to get animal fats out of the way, so they had to, you know, villainize it and make yeah. seem like it was this terrible, horrific thing. When in reality, animal fats have better vitamins and, and energy sources than any kind of oil or fat you can get. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think we've, we've been going through a big shift in our house of like kind of stepping away from the seed oils right. and, uh, you know, ironically enough, two podcast episodes ago, we, we released a, uh, it was a, like a revisit episode from back in our third season where we chatted with some folks, uh, utilizing wild game fats yep. And like, I've been, you know, I'm a big proponent of, of using the entirety of the animal, uh, but 
I think too, like rendering your own fat and learning that process is a great thing. So I have a, I had a box of all the different animal fats out in here. Cause I was doing a cooking. I made a, I took beef marrow bones. I took a piece of oxtail, some pork shoulders, some pork neck and four quails. And I roasted them on the smoker until they were just browned up like crazy. Smeared a little, you know, a little tomato paste on there and uh, made a stock with it. But I had a whole box of, of all the different jars of animal fats that I use out here in the fridge. I wish I had that that handy to show you, but I, I don't use anything but animal fats when we cook. And even my girlfriend, who's She's neutral on the topic. She could use avocado, olive oil. She can. She's fine with either. And I, I mean, God bless her. She's just very easygoing about all of this stuff. But I'll make something. She's like, you know what? This is this is a little bit better. I can definitely take it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. There's good cholesterol in it. There's good um, amino acids in it, and just it's just better for you. So. Uh, we'll talk after if you want. I'll, I can send you a little promo code to get you ten percent off if you want to buy some animal fats from uh, Fatworks. Sure, I love animal fats. Of course, yeah, they're the best. <laughs> they're they're my opinion. The only companies I truly work with, I don't work with anybody that approaches me just because they approach me. Um, if I did, I'd have my social media flooded with a bunch of crap that nobody wants to see. Um, so yep. I only work with companies that I actually approach and we work together on, you know, how we want to do business and how we want to do videos. So if I recommend something to someone, if anybody starts following me because of this podcast, just know that anything that I'm plugging or talking about is something that I truly believe and implement in my own kitchen. Yeah. So. No, that's solid. No, I stand by that. That's, that's, that's a great practice too. Cause I think like once you hit a certain point in the world of social media, like people are just like, come, they, they want, they want, they want the promotion. They want the attention. They want the whatever. And it's not always, not always good. Now there's a lot of companies, you know, as far as content creating goes, I don't want to, I don't want to get too deep into that, but just to touch on sure. it, just to touch on it, just a tad. Um, a lot of companies want you to say like, Hey, we hear like this, this, uh, ginger ale, I'm drinking a ginger ale. They say, hey, we really like your content. We want to do some work with you. It's like, all right, well, what do you want me to do? Well, we want you to make some videos with our product. All right, cool. Go ahead and send me some product and I'll make the videos. They're like, well, no, we want you to buy the product. And it's like, what the heck? What world are we in right now? You want me to buy your product and make a video and then you're going to use that to promote the product? How is that even like a thing? So I, I did away with that long time ago so i said these these companies are what i want to work with and if they say yes i'm going to use them the way i have been and believe in them and it's it's the content creating world is very very two-sided there's people that truly believe in something and have a passion for a product and understand the small business nature of what they're doing then there's the people that say hey if I post a picture of me driving in my, you know, Ford or Chevy, Chevy and Ford might repost it. Let's go. Let's do it. When in reality, Ford and Chevy's like, hey, we just we just saved a whole bunch of advertising budget. Thanks for the content. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So. Holy smokes. You're, yeah, that's so accurate. You know what I mean? Think about, you yeah. know, so I, I try to tell my buddies that are that are doing content creating, like, do not just dish this stuff out for nothing. You know? Just do what you believe in and everything will come naturally to you. Like what you're doing right here. You believe and mm -hmm. you, you, you love what you're doing so much 
that a conversation like this can go to what an hour and look an hour and 11 minutes in. I feel like I've been talking to you for five minutes. It feels like it, <laughs> it just goes to show you, you know, when you're passionate about yeah. something, it, it just comes so natural. It's true. No, it's good. And, and I think it's an awesome thing too to like get behind supporting small businesses and, and things that like Big. not just, it's not always about money. It's, like we need money to fund the passions, you know, my dad used to say, you got to have fun tickets, but it's also like, I vote with my dollars. Yes. Like, I vote with my voice. I speak and say the things that I mean and recommend and talk to the people in a way that I, you know, is genuine. Yeah. You mean what you say and you say what you mean. There, there you, go. Yeah. you know, you speaking with your dollar is a fun thing to, to touch on also like our, a lot of a lot of younger generation, they want to just do what they can do right now, immediate. Everything is instant gratification. People aren't willing to put the work in to to earn anything. So I feel like if you're like that with your content creation, people aren't going to take you as seriously as if you're a person that only works with a few handful of companies. They say, why Why are they, why are they so passionate about just these few? Like if I took if I took every offer that I came, I'd be like talking about cereal. I'd be talking about like, uh, I don't want to say the names of the brands, but like modern uh, cookware that you just see in, you know, your big box target Walmart stores. Like why would anyone want to see that content on somebody's page who was just cooking in an eerie skillet from 1894? Like where's, where's yeah. the gap? You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Big disconnect. So, but man, yeah, no, your, your reminder to uh, uh, reminding me of the time uh, as well. So, uh, what is a good way for people to sort of connect with you? So if you, if you want, um, I'm actually very, very approachable through direct messaging on Instagram. I actually make it a point to sit down and handle my DMS before I go to bed each night. Um, depending on the volume, you know, if I get a whole bunch of, if, if you send me the same Bon Appetit soap article, I'm not going to touch the <laughs> person that does it. But if you, I'm a big proponent of keeping this stuff alive, whether I'm profiting from it or not. If you get a pan from your grandmother and you say, Hey man, I got this pan. I don't know what to do with it. Direct message me, send me pictures and I will help you. I will always make it known that I have a tip jar. But I will always be there to help you. I don't want anyone to fear reaching out to me or feel like I am not approachable because a lot of people on social media do not engage with their followers. Like they'll, add, you see a lot of posts and videos. People are like, "Hey man, what yeah. skillet is that?" Or "Hey, what tires do you have on your truck?" And and they don't answer. It's like, why would you even put the content out there if you're not going to engage with people that are genuinely curious about what you're doing? Yeah. So if you're genuinely if you're genuinely curious about cast iron and you want to keep your family's heritage or your family's heirlooms alive, I want to be that vehicle for you. So direct messaging through Instagram is a good way. There's also an email tab on my Instagram where you can actually send me like a more detailed message and you can send better quality photos and stuff like that if it's like a real restoration, a big restoration job, or if you want to contact me about buying a. Um, a collection. Um, I do commissioned restorations. People can send me their box of skillets, um, and I'll restore them and send them back to them. I love doing that by the way. 
Um, and we we didn't get to talk about restorations. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to chat again so we can we can go through that. Oh, I, I mean restoration. It, the, my whole thing here is that it's not as hard as everybody else makes it look. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Just get it down to bare metal and oil that baby up and get cooking with it. That's all it really is. <laughs> like you know it. what I mean? So, um, yeah. And then uh, also, uh, I have a web. I have castironkyle.com, and you can go on there to see the recommended products I have, which are linked to my Amazon shop. And there's also a get in contact um, with me. Uh, my next move is to actually start a. I'm actually going to post a phone number on my Instagram page where people can actually text me pictures and videos and whatever on the actual cell phone that I can handle and disassociate with my personal cell phone. Um, sure. And I think that might be an easier, more intimate way to deal with people that want to uh, learn more about the topic. So. Yeah. And also, if you want premium content, I do offer subscriptions on my page. And what I do with that is I will take you along with me when I go to yard sales, flea markets, estate sales, and when I do big buyouts. And like I did a trip out to Pittsburgh earlier this year, and all the subscribers got to go with me uh, and see what I was doing, where I was going, and all the little shops I was stopping at. So I'm very open. I, I like people to know that they can get in contact with me. No, that's awesome. It's a great way. Yep. I love it. Um, so any sort of last last thoughts or ideas or questions or concepts you want to leave leave myself or the listeners with? I uh, genuinely want to leave this planet with people understanding that you can really show a lot of love to somebody by cooking a great meal for them and just be kind to people. There's a reason for everything everyone's doing on this planet. If they have a dietary restriction, learn about why and maybe learn how to cook for them. That'll show them that you care. And always take the time to listen to what somebody needs and why they need it. Uh, that's kind of the, the whole message, what I'm trying to push through here. So, Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you making the time to chat with me. And, like, I – like you said earlier, like I, I feel like we've been talking for like five, 10 minutes, but it's been, you know, well over an hour. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And I've, uh, I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I I think, uh, all the listeners out there are going to be great. So, uh, I will say this, that, uh, everybody out there, please make sure go over, uh, visit Kyle's, uh, Instagram, connect with him. Uh, He's got some really awesome stuff going on over there. Uh, A lot of entertaining videos, but a lot of like solid content too. It's Uh, uh, Instagram at cast iron underscore Kyle. There's another cast iron Kyle out there, but he hasn't put a video out since like Obama was still in the office. So uh, (laughs) that's not me. Uh, I got a couple DMS one time. I was like, Hey man, there's a guy out there that stole your name. I'm like, Nah, he didn't steal my name. <laughs> so it's cast iron underscore Kyle on Instagram. And uh, I, got I it. don't do TikTok. I don't do Facebook. I am only on Instagram. You want to get a hold of me, go through my Instagram. Perfect. And then uh, also, too, we'll, we'll put all these links in here, uh, social media links. We'll link the article. We'll link, I mentioned, the taco recipe that went out yeah. uh, yesterday. Taco meat recipe went out yesterday. So all these things will link so folks can click to them. Uh, so check the show notes for that. And then please, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, punch that five-star button. Uh, leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us what we're doing right. Mm-hmm.